Just a note of caution as we uh, begin this podcast, we are talking about a very sensitive issue and an issue that some of you might find triggering around human trafficking. For those of you who have concerns uh, about this topic, feel free to to reach out to us. I also want to encourage anyone who is concerned about a friend or maybe even yourself that might be in a situation of human trafficking to call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 1-888-373-7888. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Development and Justice Podcast from the studios at Multnomah University in the beautiful city of Portland, Oregon. My name is Dr. Greg Birch and I have the honor of hosting this unique podcast where we engage in faith-based discussions with thought leaders and practitioners who are wrestling with the complexities, right, of Christian action across the nexus of justice, development, and peace building. My role at Multnomah is uh, directing the graduate program in global development and justice. You can find out more about our program by visiting us at multnomah.edu slash M-A-G-D-J, MAGDJ. That's a mouthful, but that's what we got. Acronyms are always interesting, aren't they? Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent our host institution, Multnomah University. Thank you for for access to the podcast podcast studio, Multnomah. Um, okay, so I am super excited. We have invited Adrian Livingston to join us on the show today. Welcome, Adrian. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. I was dancing with, you know, the intro music. Like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. We love it. Also, I, I, I say we because I get to have my co-host back, Dr. Karen Fancher. She's joining us on this epi- episode. Welcome back, Karen. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. This is going to be a good discussion. Mm-hmm. So let me briefly introduce you to Adrian. Um, let's let's make sure that we do a brief introduction here. Here's a, here's a little on your background. Adrian Livingston is a humanitarian and global catalyst on combating sex trafficking. She currently serves as the director of anti-sex trafficking initiatives with World Venture, which aims to bring positive change to underserved communities through service, partnership, and advocacy. With over 20 years of working in the nonprofit sector, she has devoted her career to advancing human rights, social justice issues, and Christ-centered love. You you also have your own podcast, don't you? I do, I do. Yes. Maybe we should just turn over the whole hosting <laughs> no. thing to you, right? <laughs> no, not at all. It's <laughs> nice to be on this side of the mic. But your podcast is called Justice, Hope, Freedom, yes. right? Yes. I actually was checking it out this last week and listening through uh, several of the of the episodes and especially the, the episode on the intersection of orphanages and human trafficking. I found I was just kind of reeling as I was listening to that. So uh, for our listeners, definitely take, a, take some time and, and check out that podcast. You're also adjunct professor here at Multnomah, co-teaching with Karen, uh, our class in nonprofit leadership and administration. Thank you for that. Yes, hope yes, so fun to teach with you. That was fun. We <laughs> hope that we hope that we can keep you around and with that fac- faculty uh, role for many years to come, Adrian. You serve on the board of directors here at Multnomah. Thank you for that. We <laughs> deeply appreciate your guidance. So, um, hey, let's get into this though, and let's let's share a little bit more about your background and and um, around our topic of justice and human trafficking. Uh, let's go. You okay, ready? Let's go. Let's All go. All right. Yes. Dr. Fancher, you ready? 
I'm let's, ready. Let's go. So yeah. I have a couple questions for you here, um, Adrian. Just starting off, you know, we know human trafficking, the, the industry is a sick, multi-billion dollar enterprise, right? Based on selling and exploiting human beings, and it's largely motivated by greed and selfishness. I know this because I've had you in my classes teaching and training our students on human trafficking, and um, there's a lot more, obviously, that that contributes uh, to why human trafficking is is in existence in our world today, and we'll get into some of that. Unfortunately, there's a lot of areas we could discuss when it comes to human trafficking, and maybe we should at a later point, but today's episode is really geared on fighting sexual exploitation and trafficking. I've shared a little bit about your background and leadership in the Portland community, but I thought we might start off by having you share a little on what brought you to engage specifically in this sphere of human trafficking. I, and I think that's a great question, thank you. I ended up watching a movie called The Whistleblower, and Mm -hmm. the funny thing is it was when uh, I don't think there was as much streaming being done, so I ended up going to the Red Box, and I I liked the actress Rachel Weisz, and I was like, oh, I'll get this movie called The Whistleblower. Mm -hmm. Didn't realize that it was based on true events, and it highlighted the issue of sex trafficking uh, and at the end of the movie what really grabbed and captured my heart and I'm trying not to give all the details for those that might want to watch it is that those that should have been the protectors the United Nations peacekeepers mm. were part of the problem mm. that they actually were the ones to alert the traffickers when raids would occur and move the girls wow. as well as participate in the commercial sex acts And what got me, and it actually made me quite angry, was that they were not the ones let go. Rachel's character, I don't recall what her name was, was the one that was let go. Mm. And I'm like, wait, the person who's trying to protect these innocent girls and victims, and at that time they really showed girls, but I want listeners to understand it happens to girls, boys, men, and women, Mm -hmm. is that at the end of the movie, I was like, wow, I want to get involved. And at that time, I really looked at it as an over there issue in another country until I started to do research of how I could get involved and then all of a sudden realized, oh, it's happening here in Portland, Oregon, Mm -hmm. and here is our context. You have to understand the context and understanding that this issue does not just look one way. And I think oftentimes a person may look at, they hear sex trafficking and they think of the victim that is in another country or the victim who's been kidnapped, uh, but they don't realize it's so much more nuanced than that. It's so many layers that we have to understand. Mm-hmm. So that's what really captivated my heart to want to get engaged. Now, who brought me to the table was God. That was a part of it. But at the time, I was at another nonprofit as the executive director, but it was during a time I had graduated from seminary, and I'm like, okay, God, I'm, I want something more to do. You know, I, I love where I'm at, but it's not my heart's passion. This, I want to do ministry. I specifically want to do missions ministry. And it came to a point in time where I was burnt out. I was just burnt out, and I had a conversation with God. I said, God, I am done, and I don't know what to do. You must give me something. Hmm. And it literally was like receiving a text message on the the phone, plop, trafficking. Now, I really want to highlight the word because he didn't say sex trafficking. It was trafficking. So I do believe my work will have me look into those other areas just of human exploitation, Mm -hmm. wherever there is need. But 
we know that this is a large issue. So what that did, though, was remind me of the movie I had watched, The Whistleblower, a year earlier, and how I had a passion to get engaged. And it was at that moment I knew what I wanted to do was not start a new direct service agency because in my research, I learned a lot of direct, about a lot of direct serving agencies locally, nationally, and internationally. What I wanted to do was help people connect to get engaged because having been an executive director of a nonprofit, I understand that there could be a capacity issue even with volunteers. So they may not have the capacity to go out and connect with people, but if I could help be a part of that gap, I wanted to do that. And thankfully, you know, God led me to World Venture and have been with World Venture as the director of anti-sex trafficking initiatives since 2014. Wow, wow. You know, um, you, you've been in our classes, both both Dr. Fancher and I, quite a bit, sharing about uh, the work, prevention, advocacy work uh, that you do in the area of human trafficking. But it leads me to the question about misconceptions. Uh, what are some common misconceptions that we have in the larger public that, that when it comes to human human trafficking or, or sex trafficking in particular? And I alluded to it already. Part of it is that it happens over there. It doesn't happen yeah. in my community. That's one, and it's a big one. The other is that um, I would say people believe that the victims are choosing that life. They're choosing to be there. So therefore, if they're choosing it, they don't need my help. They don't want my help. I don't want to help them because it's the, the life that they're choosing. But when you actually peel the onion and you see what actually made them vulnerable to being there, you realize they didn't choose it. Whether it's when you look at the definition of sex trafficking, it's about someone being coerced, forced, um, and, and manipulated into doing a commercial sex act. When you look at, say, a common age of entry, and statistics are hard to come by, but you know, say you're a high schooler or even a middle school person, high school someone even under the age of 23, when our brains are fully developed, you don't necessarily know when someone is necessarily trying to trick you or manipulate you into getting into this. I think another misconception is that people, even in America, I'll specifically focus on America, is that victims are from other countries. No, the majority of victims in the United States are from America. They are from the United States. And they don't realize that Another misconception is the kidnapping is that because of media, media likes to portray that sex trafficking, someone that's caught in that is they're kidnapped, which that might be a way. But there are other ways like someone, there's a term called boyfriending that an older guy typically tries to befriend a, a younger girl and to appear as if he is interested in her to be her boyfriend, but all the while he's grooming her, recruiting her to actually exploit her, but she doesn't get that. So I think people have to start understanding that this issue, you have to look at vulnerabilities and to redefine what it is. And also the other thing is just prostitution, redefining what prostitution is. Uh, When you look at the victims there, I don't have a percentage, but I know the majority of victims that I have spoken to and have read about, they're actually not choosing to be there. One question I've heard is, okay, when you were 12 years old or even 15, did you actually wake, stay up in bed at night thinking, oh, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to prostitute my body to possibly give money to someone else. I don't get the money, and wow, you know, I might have an unwanted pregnancy. I might get a disease, and oh, wow, I actually might, I hate to say this, but I might die. 
So by the hands of the the buyer or even the pimp or the trafficker. So I think people have to stop thinking of what culture has said to us about this issue and that the person is choosing to be there and realizing that, no, they're not, to actually take a step back to learn about stories to see, oh, they're not choosing it. How can I help? Yeah. Adrian, I so appreciate how you seek to understand the stories of those who have been caught up as victims of trafficking and how you invite us to do that, to look through new lenses. And um, there's so much to learn. But I, I would really like to ask you, as we think about the horrors of trafficking, this industry is huge. So can you talk to me about what some of the primary catalysts are that are driving this industry? Greg mentioned it in the beginning, money. Money's huge. When you look at, this is a 2014 statistic, so I don't know what it is now, but from the International Labor Organization, that human trafficking of all kinds brings in $150 billion. Of that, $99 billion is from sex trafficking. This is a country's gross domestic product. So some countries are complacent and actually a part of allowing it to happen because they're getting the money. So money, greed, that's huge. Also, uh, power and control, that you're controlling another person for your own personal gain. You, have, you don't care about that other individual. An ind individual is just about you. Culture, the culture of acceptance, the culture of normalizing things is, is another. Demand, that's an issue that if we didn't have the demand, we wouldn't have these victims. Mm -hmm. But because we have a demand that is at these individuals who are purchasing sex, they want certain girls or boys, et cetera, then these pimps and traffickers have a job because then they are meeting the demand. It is a business model. I hate to put it that way, but it is a business. It's all about the money. Also, when we talk about demand, what we also want to discuss and talk about is pornography because pornography is a part of driving the demand. And with pornography, yes, you have the websites that do that, but just our commercials that really encourage us showing our flesh in very suggestive and sexual ways. So we have to look at that, too, as being part of a catalyst. The commodification of women. It really and, is. And it really people. Is. Yeah. It really is. So I would say those would be some things that I would mention. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, that's that's super helpful. This is this is a really hard conversation, and and I'm sure our listeners, as they're listening in, are, are thinking about some of some of the contributing factors that are that are leading to uh, sex trafficking in our city, in our communities, in our country, and and in our world. So we want to acknowledge how challenging this topic could be for so many. And um, you know, this last week I was doing some reading and researching on human trafficking and, and, and noted the statistics when it came to the BIPOC communities, um, black, indigenous, and, and, and other people of, of color. Um, you know, I wonder if you can help our listeners and help us understand the connections of how longstanding systemic injustices, um, and I might add, in many cases, uncorrected uh, not repaired injustices are in particular are creating these vulnerabilities in these specific communities. Yes. Just taking it back to slavery. You know, individuals were bought and sold and not just for, you know, farming, but women who were bought and sold, the slave masters would rape them. And I call it rape. 
and they would have kids. Sometimes the slave master would do that so that they could have kids to then be workers on the farm or wherever. But just back then, you know, slave slavery. Also during that time is you had white men going into predominantly black areas to go to uh, brothels, you would, if you will, to purchase a black woman. So it's been going for an unfortunate long time. And when we look at today, however, I think of what is still continuing that same oppressive nature. In schools, there's a book called Push Out, and it's actually also a documentary by Monique Morris, I believe. And it talks about, and I've seen and witnessed myself, the adultification of black girl bodies. So these black girls who want to be as innocent as any other girl, they're not seen as young girls. They're seen as women, and therefore they should then make decisions based off of being an adult. When they're not, their bodies, even if they are slender, they are being adultified. So where they will wear the same uniform, say, as their white counterpart, all of a sudden they're getting in trouble because it's fitting them differently. But it's the same. Why isn't that other counter, you know, their white counterpart getting in trouble? Why is it the black girl? Black girls are viewed instead of, you know, not the good girl, the bad girl. So all these things, it's like these black girls are being penalized more and sexually at that um, instead of being viewed as young girls. Then we take it to the whole issue of sex trafficking, black girls and women are penalized more. They are seen more as criminal than the victim for doing, again, the very same thing that their white counterpart is doing. So then they may get, you know, fined or go to jail more than that white counterpart because the white counterpart is viewed as as a victim that needs help, but a black girl or a woman, they're not. So it's still continuing until this day probably spend hours talking about that topic alone. Um, Thanks for sharing about that. Yeah, it's just egregious to think about all of the um, levels of injustice that are taking place and that have contributed to to so many people suffering this injustice. And I think, you know, as we think about global development and justice, you so epitomize what drives us to want to recognize the dignity of every person, to affirm and to advocate for um, for justice, for flourishing of all people. So we want to do something, but sometimes we don't know what to do. Um, so what are some practical things that our listeners can do to be engaged in anti-trafficking prevention, intervention, and advocacy? Sometimes we feel powerless. <laughs> Help us. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I would say learning about it because in that question you have to do your research you have to do your learning you have to understand what are the vulnerabilities whether it's someone from a single parent household to foster care system and understanding that our foster care system is broken and the fact is these kids are moving from moving from a broken system of being at home to then another broken system so understanding that oh these kids in the foster care they need even more help because they you know I've heard of kids moving to 20 homes, and it's just, it's it's heartbreaking, but also knowing that some of the victims you'll hear that have been victims of sex trafficking have come from the foster care system, um, from being a person who was an immigrant or refugee. They're leaving their country. They may, Maybe they had to flee their country. They didn't even know what country they're going to, and possibly 
they had a wonderful business back home, but in the country they're at, they don't speak the language, they don't know the culture, they can then be manipulated because they might run into someone and that person says, oh, I want to help you, I want to, you know, help you find a job, and they believe them, and all of a sudden they're with, you know, uh, off being, whether it's sex trafficking or human trafficking, I want to include that one in there, especially right. with immigrants and refugees, to someone that, you know what, I just want to have a boyfriend. I have natural desires that are all normal, but a pimp and trafficker will try to figure out where is a vulnerability in that person, and they try to go right into that crack and recruit and groom where a person doesn't realize that, oh, what's happening is they're ex exploiting a natural tendency and natural desire. And I think of our Christian community because oftentimes a, a person might say, oh, that would never happen to my Christian child. No, it actually will because um, they, <laughs> I have one, known of those that have were raised in the church, were trafficked and exploited. Someone who was even 19 that met her trafficker, I believe it was on Match.com, match where it is, they might be so sheltered from the real world that they don't see when a person is trying to manipulate and trick them, that they are so sheltered where the world is, it's not a matter of if and when they will see pornography. It's a matter of just when, because we have smartphones. And also, you know, if you don't know what to look for, if you don't have these hard, difficult conversations about issues that are quote-unquote taboo, you're not actually helping your child. Mm -hmm. I think that there are appropriate ways to have conversations with children, even in the church and at different age levels. I'm not just saying go off and have these hard conversations, but do it at an, in an age-appropriate way and right. manner, but have the conversation. So now going to your question of how uh, learning, you know, talking about parents, there's um, uh, Protect Young Minds is a place to go to to even just learn about having a conversation with kids, young kids about pornography, but it's a, a, a read-aloud book book where you can help children understand good pictures and bad pictures mm -hmm. and what do you do when you see it so that's one also too I think um, with learning about this subject there's the prevention so I think with uh, churches learning about the different curriculums out there that you could do to prevent it from happening uh, you know if you could prevent a lifetime of trauma let's start there also, I think with church specifically, uh, and I think you asked about individuals, but individuals are in church, but church sure. is, and this is to individuals as well, also understand with this subject, it's not always about helping the victim. You may not be the person equipped or ready to help the victim. When you are helping victims, you must be trauma-informed and you must be skilled at working with victims. So understand that there are different ways, and you started to, in your question, you were talking about it. There's advocacy, there's policy, there is post care, which you may work with victims, but understand again, you need to be uh, trained to do that. But then there is ending the demand. And if you're talking about, it, it can be hard for men to figure out where to get involved. One organization I highly recommend, and I would actually suggest you interview them as well, is the Epic Project. Mm -hmm. um, Tom Perez is the uh, president and executive director. And it's about helping its men get involved of ending the demand um, to 
There is Shared Hope mm-hmm. International over in Washington. They actually do different grade reports of each state as to how they are doing with this. I would say go there. Read the materials that they have. If you want to know more about a federal or international global level, uh, Google trafficking in persons report and go and read the report because they then actually give grades, if you will. They rank countries as to what they're doing in protection, um, prevention, policy, and I think there is one other thing. Now, that they don't solve the question. The, I think in their ranking, even though some might be ranked as Tier 1 and the, the worst is Tier 3, even Tier 1, it's like there's still so much more work to do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give all the answers. So I think with a person who's really interested, even on my website, justicehopefreedom.com, there is about a four-minute video that says if you're interested in getting started, here are ways that you can start. So I, I would actually encourage them to listen to that as well. That's so helpful, and I think um, you started with seeing the seeing the children in front of us, or seeing the stories of others, and then understanding this issue well and finding our place. Um, so, as we start to think about growing and understanding, it seems like awareness of trafficking is growing. Where do you see glimmers of hope taking place? Where Where do you see some change starting to happen? I see people wanting to learn about this issue. One question I have had is. Our churches, and especially because I think with my ministry, it is about helping to educate and equip churches, missionaries, Christian schools to get, enca- to get engaged. They ask, well, do they not let you in? And, you know, for me, it's kind of just who I am. I go where the current takes me and where the Holy Spirit has opened the door. I actually haven't had, I don't recall the last time I went to a church to ask, can I present here? I have been invited time after time to present at churches, to present at schools here in Multnomah, uh, Portland Bible College, Warner Pacific, so many others to even nonprofits that are Christian, but actually nonprofits that are not Christian. They've asked me to present. So I just think that in and of itself that people are interested in learning about this issue is a glimmer of hope. The other thing is seeing all the other nonprofits out there doing the direct service, working with victims, or working to end the demand, or change policy and law, that I see more of those organizations that are arising, and not just individual in themselves, but collaborating with others, understanding that when you look at this whole issue of trafficking, human trafficking, sex trafficking, it is a web, and these traffickers they understand how to work together. So you have the trafficker, you have the buyer, you have the victim, unfortunately, but you have the facilitator who's facilitating it all happen, happening, and all of them are getting money. So if they can somehow work together, why can't we? So it's really nice to see these other nonprofits or individuals that are saying, this is what my lane is, this is my role, and but I want to connect with you. How do we work together? So that's also another glimmer of hope. Um, There is an organization called the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, and they have a summit every year just about this issue. And I I love the fact that there are ways we can go to get more information to help us in our work. So that's another, NICOSI is the acronym, but I would encourage people to go there too. Adrian, I just have to tell this story real fast here as we're talking about hope. You know, you were in one of my classes a couple years ago, as as you have been annually, right, both of our classes. And um, training, helping our students understand and how to prevent trafficking from happening. And one of my students came back to me after that class. It was several months after you shared in class. And 
he told me about the situation that happened here in Portland. He was on the max here in Portland, recognized the situation of a young girl with an older man on the max, was suspicious, was concerned about her. Um, and as a result of just kind of maybe the Holy Spirit just prompting him, he wrote on his arm, are you, are you, are, what did he say? Something along the lines of, are you okay? With a question mark. And he showed it to her when he was, the guy was not looking. And she, she shook her head saying, no, I'm not safe. I'm not okay. And he followed them off the, off the max and um, was able to call the police. And I'm making a very long story short, but called the police. Police showed up and found out that she was in a dangerous situation with this man. And uh, you know, that's a glimmer of hope, Karen, as yeah. you, as you asked that question. And it just reminds me, and, and I just want to speak into your life a little bit. You know, you have brought hope into the lives of, of victims, yes. even without even acknowledge, maybe seeing the results, right? And so keep up the great work you're doing. We're, we're encouraged and inspired by that. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I remember you shared that with me. And mm-hmm. um, it's, it is nice to hear those stories because it, it talks about impact. Uh, but thankfully, you know, I don't, it's again, nice to hear, but I know I'm making an impact even if I don't hear those stories. Right, right. right. Yeah. So. And I think, you know, you're called justice, hope, freedom. You couldn't do this work without hope because you see the very heavy and the very ugly. And yet you also see potential for us to be engaged and for lives to be touched. So thank you again for sharing and for all that you do. How do you sustain yourself? You look at the ugliest of the ugly sometimes you read reports you hear stories and uh, I teach a class called trauma in the humanitarian context and we realize that um, we can suffer secondary trauma as we hear stories as we see situations that are overwhelming and yet I see a life and a passion in you that you're able to sustain so can you tell us how you care for yourself in this journey and what keeps you going definitely and part of that is learned lesson. (laughs) When I first started, I think I inundated myself with reading and watching documentaries and so many things about this issue that one night after reading a book about sex trafficking, I had a nightmare. Yeah. (laughs) And I woke up thinking, okay, I can't go to bed reading something like this. And I have to actually regulate how much I'm doing. So it was at that moment that I drew back of really just inundating myself with it kind of day in and day out to doing it more during the work hour. Mm -hmm. And also I started practicing yoga uh, back in 2000, I think it was almost around the same time I started, 2014. And I did it primarily because of my body. I I would always go to physical therapists for other issues, and they would always put me in this yoga pose, you know, cat-cow and all these things that I'm like, well, I do need a stretch, so let me go. And I I went to a yoga studio that was just the physicality and modality of stretching and nothing that was religious. I didn't want anything that was religious. And, like, if it could just be secular, just lead me in the pose. What I found at the time was that not only was it helping me physically, but all of a sudden there was that one hour where I actually started to become still and silent, Mm -hmm. silence myself, and the chaos melted away for that moment in time. So since then, I've actually become a Christian yoga teacher instructor Mm -hmm. and bring in the spiritual, but unto our Father in heaven. And what I do is it's it really helps to center me. I love it. When I don't do it, I, my body tells me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's one. But two, I have a great support network. 
um, in my my parents, my sister, my friends. And then I just love having, I love having fun. I love laughter, you know, with these, the TV, and especially now with the pandemic and everything has been closed. um, I, well, one, I am kind of sick of the TV, but if I do watch a TV show, I'm like, can it be unrealistic? I don't want to watch a drama. I don't want to watch anything that has anything to do with trafficking. I don't want it to be real about robbery. Can it be scientific or just a sci-fi to, you know, monsters that look, don't look like monsters? So anything that is literally not realistic, it's fantasy, I'm there. It has to have comedy, <laughs> you know, so just something that I can escape reality. Um, I do that as well. Um, but then I do have some things on the side that I like to do myself, you know, uh, besides work, as you know, as you mentioned, I'm an adjunct professor here and we'll be teaching again. Yay. Mm-hmm. And um, voiceover doing that to, uh, yeah, just helping equip people, whatever they need. It's just like, oh, can, how can I help you? So I try to have a life outside of this industry. Um, I, I I've won. It's just kind of the nature of who I am. If I did literally just one thing, I would get bored. But with this specifically, I can't live in it 24-7. So then other than that, one, I would say a spiritual language that I love is music. So I love praise and worship and, and any of that gospel especially. So that also helps me too. Yeah, so being able to step back to not let this totally consume you, which it could easily do, and then mm-hmm. staying centered spiritually. Yeah, thank you. That's well, helpful. I have to say, and it's one of those things where people, when they learn that I do this work, they'll, like, they'll tell me, oh, you need to read this book, or you need to watch this movie. And I'm thinking, thank you, but really, <laughs> it's like, I, you know, with this, unfortunately, and I do see right. it not just in the United States, but in other countries, there are variables about this that look the same almost in all countries. That mm-hmm. Uh, trauma is to, to me is the international language, mm-hmm. right? Um, but there are some nuances of things in different countries. And I've read so many different stories. I'm thinking, I don't need to read a, another one right now. <laughs> you know, I don't need to watch another movie about this same thing. Uh, if it's teaching me something new that I need to know, yes, I want to know that. But if it's just another movie or documentary or something, that's where I have to be very um, cautious about how much of that I'm letting in. Yeah, that really makes a lot of sense. I, when I first got into you know, researching and advocating for at-risk youth and children in a variety of different contexts, I was watching all the documentaries I could find, yeah. all the books, and I was just, you know, I began looking at myself in the mirror like, what are you doing to yourself, Greg? You know, this, mm-hmm. is, this is not good. Uh, so, you know, there's a time and a place for... for researching and training and being prepared for to engage in these issues but let's make some space uh, for some other healthy uh, habits as well so yes. I appreciate you sharing on that you know you mentioned a curriculum that you are working on I think it's called girl empowerment girls empowerment I wonder if you could share a little bit about that and also help us understand like what is the role um, or, or what can pastors do or youth pastors do in the church specifically and, and how can that curriculum maybe even even support them and help them Definitely. The Girl Empowerment Curriculum, I co-created it with a friend, Michelle Lathrop, of which we both met doing a program for girls. A sex tr- uh, it was a violence against girls curriculum or violence against women curriculum. And we loved it, but we also knew that we needed something specifically to talk to the church and to actually use scripture and to do more 
And so we ended up writing it together where we definitely address healthy and unhealthy relationship characteristics, intuition, boundary intrusion. Do you know when someone is trying to cross your boundary? We address the whole issue of sex trafficking. But for the most part, this curriculum is a sex trafficking prevention and domestic violence prevention curriculum. It teaches life skills. Out of the curriculum, we have seven modules, of which it's mainly one module that addresses sex trafficking. Outside of that, it's giving them tools that they can use in everyday life. Even how if there's something happening to them and they don't know how to vocalize it, we give them a model, define and tell, like defining what the issue someone is doing, telling them what you don't like about it, and then telling them what they need to change and do. And we have them practice this. So within this curriculum, and we go over their image in God, we go over culture, what does culture expect, what does God expect. We have some physical self-defense as a part of it. And I love, that's huge to me because I can see a person's confidence increase even doing that, which is hugely important when you're talking about a person looking for vulnerability in a child. And one of those vulnerabilities might be lack of confidence. So within this curriculum, it is written in such a way that it is not lecture-based, it is participant-based, so it's leading them through activities where the facilitators, one, need to be safe themselves and and show appropriate vulnerability, and especially in church, it's not about giving the church answer. It's about addressing real issues with girls in a safe space, even if it's something that goes against, say, what's written in Scripture, leading them through what it says, what God has, even if you don't know the answer to say, you know, good question, let's address this together and we will pray about it and not just give a response because you're not sure what to say or you're uncomfortable, uh, go pray about it. When you give a response to a person, whether it's adult or child, and with something they brought to you and you don't know what to say, and you just say, go pray about it, you just missed an opportunity because they're bringing it to you because they really do have the question, what you just did is push them to the side, and now they're going to go try to find that answer, but it could be finding an answer with the wrong person giving them the response. So this curriculum is saying we're taking off the mask. We are taking, we don't want church answers. Even if they uh, say something about sex, let's talk, you know what? God says not to do it. Let's talk about why. Why is that an external boundary that he has placed on us? And because he wants us to be safe. He wants us to be in love. And there's so many, there's, you know, for those of you who don't know, uh, a hormone called oxytocin, and what that is is a bonding hormone, look it up. Why? Because he made our bodies intricately. He is the scientist. He is the creator. He knows everything, everything about our bodies, everything about the universe. So in this curriculum, we try to address uh, these issues in a safe way, in a real way that we are engaging the girls in conversation but always pointing it back to God and not judging them, not making them feel shame about shameful about what they're asking, but leading them through conversation so that they're getting answers from us and not the external world. So I would say as far as someone interested, um, even on my website, justicehopefreedom.com, I have information there about it. Just email me and we could definitely talk from there. Right, that's super helpful, and, and youth pastors and ministers out there and, and anyone with, with girls in your life, uh, you know, take advantage of this opportunity to get a hold of the curriculum that's available to you, and, and if they want to engage with you, uh, what's, what's the best way to, to write you? 
I would say a.livingston at worldventure.com is my email. But if you don't remember that, just justicehopefreedom.com. And then everything is on there. Even my social media handle for Instagram is JHF Ministry. Other than that, um, just one more thing about the curriculum. It's written in a way for facilitators to lead the girls. And it's for middle and high school girls. All right. Terrific. And I know you are... Uh, I don't know if you're translating the curriculum, but you're certainly making it available to other contexts around the world as well. So right? what we're doing once we are pretty much finalizing the U.S. version, but from there we are going to contextualize it culturally for different continents. So right now I'm working with women that are in Africa uh, that are on the ground with World Venture, but they're also going to bring African women um, from multiple different countries in Africa to help go through and look at what do we need to change or modify about the curriculum that we've written for a U.S. context that would be better for their context. And we will then do that for Asia, Europe, Middle East, Latin America. So, yes. That's terrific. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Hey, Adrian, uh, thank you for taking the time to share with us today. Uh, You know, I just want to encourage our listeners, if you want to get in touch with Adrian, you have her email address, get in touch with her, uh, invite her to your church, to your organization, whether that be for yoga or for (laughs) curriculum training for the girls in in your context. Uh, Thank you so much, Adrian, for being here today. Yeah, absolutely. And what a model of grace and courage. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Yeah, this has been a a great time. Thank you for uh, joining us. Thank you for joining us uh, as we dialogue on the tensions and the areas of convergence when it comes to thinking missionally about the nexus of development, justice, and peace building. 